Continuing with a festive feel this week, it, it is the Christmas season, so lighten up and enjoy the music a little bit. Guys, it's another week, and we have to look at Donald Trump potential cabinet picks yet again. Uh, go a little bit more in-depth with it, and I kind of want to talk about patriotic correctness. Uh, yeah, it's a thing that seems to be on the conservative side of politics, so we're going to take a look at that as well. All this... And a little bit more coming up. You know what you're listening to. This is FritzCast. I apologize if you're not a fan of festive, you know, Christmassy, you know, holiday. I don't, I'm not, I don't try to BS political correctness with it. To me, I celebrate Christmas. And, you know, that's what it is to me. It's Merry Christmas to me. I'm not going to be offended if somebody comes up to me and says, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Happy Kwanzaa, um, you know, there's, there's a couple other... I know in the Muslim faith, uh, the Prophet Muhammad has a birthday recognition in December. Uh, so, it I mean, there's a collection of different holidays that go on. There's the pagan solstice as well, which, uh, you know, one could argue a lot of stuff is bastardized and taken from the pagan winter solstice. But, you know, it is what it is. There's, like I said, there's modern day aspects to, like, almost anything. Christmas has been around, and and Christmas as as a Christian type of holiday, or at least with the with the underlying Christian themes, it has been several hundred years that it's run as it as it has. So, but that's beside the point. I'm saying if you're not into the festive music, I mean, and some people probably are thrown off because if you go back and listen to my podcast episodes, my my theme song is Rumble from BenSound.com. And that is a very punchy, high energetic, like rock type song. And then I go into this stuff, which is all musical, mellow, Christmassy type music. And yes, my uh, musical tastes lie all across the board. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit last in the last couple of weeks uh, about different topics that were on my mind, and I I was so busy. I was so busy. Look, I I was three weeks on a field training program. The first week was really only three days. It was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I had off Thanksgiving, had off Black Friday, had off the weekend, which was, it was nice to have a four-day weekend. It was beautiful, especially for a guy that didn't take really hardly any vacations in the last year. Very welcome, very welcomed gift from my supervisors uh, because... That's the way the chips fell. It wasn't like... It really wasn't so much planned as much as it was, oh, look, it just so happens that everything's falling like this, and everything worked out, and it was great. So, and having the three-week period on 
eight to four with weekends off, like that somewhat normal schedule was was really nice to have. Some people might think that's monotonous. Some people might think it's stupid to get excited over. That's because you all take it for granted. There's people like me who, you know, my days off are Monday, Tuesday. And if I didn't pick those, my days off would have been Wednesday, Thursday. And this is all on 4 to 12. Or, worse, it could have been midnight to 8. Now I'm, like, I guess it's because I'm 27 years old. Not... Not soon yet approaching 28 years old. It's, it's it's quite a bit before I hit 28, and I'm still under 30. So, I, I'm still categorized as a youngin', which I'm perfectly fine with. It, it must be because I'm older, uh, because I'm married, because me and my wife want to start a family, and doing anything, trying to do anything family-wise on anything outside of a, of a somewhat normal schedule uh, seems kind of impossible. But that's a different discussion for a different day. Uh, because of how hectic those last couple weeks were and how rushed I was to do things, and mind you, I'm still doing schooling as well, I didn't get a chance to pump out one episode for the week. I missed a week. First time ever in FritzCast history, I missed a week of FritzCast. And I hated missing it. I really did. But also, my, my consumption of media was downsized. When you work 4 to 12 and you have every morning to afternoon by yourself, and you're working on different projects, maybe you're doing schoolwork, maybe you're cleaning up the house... Uh, maybe you're occasionally playing a video game, though you don't stress that too much because you don't want your wife knowing you're playing video games. You know, maybe that's it. I don't, I can't say what you do with the time, but I can tell you what I do with the time. And that encompassed a lot of listening to podcasts. I love podcasts. I love talk radio. I listen to a lot of it. And I try to listen to different voices and different people, although I have my core that I don't miss. Even that. I had a break from that over the past couple of weeks because I couldn't hear it every day or listen to every episode. I listened to an episode here or an episode there. And so even that got broken up. And then watching news, forget that. You got free time and you're like, why am I going to watch the news? I can just read snippets online. Even if it's fake news. Which we'll talk about that in a minute too. Uh, you see how like stretched out I get? I was talking about music, so my musical taste is all across the spectrum. I love Christmas music. I don't hate Christmas music. I don't loathe Christmas music like like many people do. However, when I say I love Christmas music, I don't love like Philly B101 nonstop Christmas station. Okay, I don't. I don't like you pumping out the the four or five or six same Christmas songs just by different artists. I don't. I can't stand that. I love Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, I think, is like top dollar, top dog, real, real deal Christmas music. And some people hate Sinatra. Some people love Sinatra. There's like no in-between. There's not like, oh, I can stomach Sinatra. Oh, you know, I can stomach Frank Sinatra, but, uh, you know, he's not my favorite, and I don't hate him. 
you don't really have an in-between with Frank Sinatra's either. I love Sinatra or... And those that... Frank Sinatra, by the way, they're wrong. That's that's just... There's, there's no content. I don't need to find sources. I don't need to uh, gather a general consensus of opinion. You're just wrong. You're just wrong and you're going to have to get over some things in your life. Have to avoid cussing. Trying not to cuss. Be more professional. I got to tell you about that too in a minute. But Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, uh, The Rat Pack, all those Christmas songs. And here's the thing. Yes, I do listen to Frank Sinatra singing the like classic Christmas hymns. Kind of weird hearing about, you know, Frank Sinatra and him, you know, churchy music. I do listen to those, but Frank Sinatra had some great songs like the Christmas Waltz. Uh, I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. Um, we Wish You the Merriest. Uh, he even sang a version of, I think it's what, is it Bob Denver. I want to say it's Bob Denver, but I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong on that. Don't John John Denver. That's that's who it is. I'm an idiot. Is what it is. John Denver. You know, and the Muppets. They have like a Christmas album. Uh, John Denver. I think did a song called "A Baby Just Like You." Frank Sinatra did a cover of it. Switched the child's name to you know his granddaughter Angela. I believe it's his granddaughter. And uh, I love that version of the song. If it's Sinatra doing it, I probably love it. If it's Dean Martin. You know, it's hit or miss with Dean Martin with me. I do love Baby It's Cold Outside. I don't want to get into a giant discussion about how it's a song about rape because it's not about rape so much. Is it from a different time? Sure. Were there different social standards? Yeah. Yeah, there were, but it's not like a terrible, oh my God, what a bad song. What a bad, trashy song. Dean Martin is roasting in hell. It's not that type of song. Come on. Listen, I mean, if anybody wants to pick that apart but not pick apart anything in mainstream music today, come on. Get get over yourself. It's a classic. But I also like the less popular Christmas music. Like the ones I just don't hear these songs played a lot. Like Good King Wenceslas. Uh, there's a band out there, a group of people called the Piano Guys. Look them up. They have some great renditions on their holiday album, and one of them is Good King Wenceslas. And love it. Love that tune. Love the song. Love the subject matter. And it's one of those less touted Christmas songs nowadays. It's picked apart. It, it is picked apart by, like, scholars and, and connoisseurs and such. All alike about, you know, oh, this song is completely inaccurate and it is a Eastern hymn, and who cares? Let me listen to my music and enjoy it. Stop picking it apart and judging it. What the hell is wrong with you? It's one of the lesser appreciated Christmas songs. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Barely hear that song anymore. And yes, again, Sinatra. Listen to it. And uh, I even have my Elvis Presley Christmas vinyl record. I'll listen through it. It's not my favorite. Um, I am a fan of The King, but several Christmas songs. I don't know if it's just the way that he sang it, if he was uncomfortable with the material. Um, there's times where I listen to 
Elvis's Christmas stuff, and I'm like, what the hell? What the hell? It's so it's either cheesy or just done terribly. But I'll listen to it anyway. It is what it is. My favorite. Next to Sinatra. Obviously, obviously Sinatra, the Rat Pack, the big band swing music. That obviously that's my favorite. If I had to pick another favorite of Christmas music, uh Chicago has a pretty boss Christmas album. And if you haven't listened to it, I mean Google that one. Their version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, for example. Again, another less touted Christmas song. Ooh. Um, their version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen is probably my favorite of all time. Uh, I don't know what it is about Chicago's touch on some of these Christmas songs. But I love that album to death. Is that enough about music? All right, yeah, look, listen. It, it, that was all across the spectrum for you, right? And then when Christmas is over... Right back to uh, Ed Guy, Avantasia, Motorhead, Camelot, Sabaton. Uh, back to the heavy metal. Right back to the heavy metal. With me. So if that gives you if that gives you a vision of of my musical taste, yes, it goes from Elvis and Sinatra all the way to really loud guitar music. So uh, field training is complete for the last three weeks. First thing. First things first, I love teaching the new guys. I do. Um, I wouldn't have sat down and developed all this material to teach them basic policies in our institution uh, if I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I, I did it and got paid for it. But I wouldn't have done it if I didn't enjoy it. And I'm constantly trying to find ways to improve... On what I have, because when we started, when it was me and a corporal who were tasked by the lieutenant to be field training officers and, and train the classes. And we had a two-week, you know, 80-hour period to do training. And we had certain things that we had to touch up on, certain policies, and then sending them out, having them work and observing and working with them hand-in-hand hand to make sure that they understood we didn't have anything. We, we had a stack of printed out policies, and it's boring to, to just sit there and read. It's boring. So I said, all right, look, PowerPoints, cliched, um, also boring, but you can put pictures up there. You can boil out the fat and get to the basic concepts of things. So I sat down. I started Googling pictures of uh, prison institutions, you know, stuff that looked like it belonged in my building, and started throwing it up, piecing it together, and we went through one class, and they thought that was great. We had a, at least a comparison point, because the first class I did, there was nothing, and they were like, oh, it was boring, it was, tr it was hard to get through sometimes, it would have been better if we had something to look at. Well, I made something to look at, the next class was like, those uh those PowerPoints are uh pardon the pun on point. <laughs> I slapped the guy that made that joke. It's not funny. Anyway, I made all them. I made up these PowerPoints. Started using them as the basis for the teaching segments and then the rest of it is supposed to be, you know, give them the basics, give them give them the highlights, give them the 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 true raw bits 
of policy that they need to know. Like what is acceptable, what's unacceptable. What are the rules versus what's not rule. What's the process? You know, how do you handle situations? That type of thing. Give them that, then send them out in the field so they have something to work with. They, they know what the rules are now. They know what they can do to enforce the rules. Boom. So much smoother, so much better. However, it was developed by me, my, my lieutenant, uh, the, the corporal in question. I don't want to name names on, on my podcast of people uh, without their consent. So since I'm talking about it and I didn't talk to them about it, I'm just rambling through. So bear with me. Throw together all that material. I've gone through it a couple times now. This was the first class where I actually developed something on uh, Google. I used Google Forms and did up a survey with uh, multiple choice and linear scale ratings and even blank forms where they could type in their own stuff to get actual feedback on the program that can be mapped out on graphs so we can see what the satisfaction is, whether they're enjoying it, what they think needs to be tweaked with it. And it's going to be great because I can print that out. I can literally print it out and as it gets generated in these graphs and take it to the higher-ups and go, look, our training program is having high satisfaction in comparison to the training academy, for example. That's just for an example. The other thing that it's going to do is that I've already gotten some responses from this class already, and it is good at good replies, good responses. The other thing is that I can take their feedback and retool, retweak, and retailor the program, which a program that has only been around for Two years as a whole and one year as it stands with me under it, you have different growing pains. You have to evolve. You have to change things up. It just can't stay the same because if it stays the same, you'll have the same results. Maybe the same results are a good thing. Maybe they're a bad thing. One of the things that I, I've learned over a couple of classes is that now on the third, fourth class that we've done... Now we're more critical of people. We're paying attention to very little things and going, okay, that's not good. They need to be pulled up on that. And that's probably because uh, over the course of doing it, you pick up on little things. You start to notice those things. One of the other things we've improved is more in the field, you know. Let's not stuck be stuck in the classroom going over this stuff. Let's go over this stuff, give it to you, and then send you immediately out and have you start applying that knowledge. So it's more of a building blocks type of thing or stepping stones now than it was at first. So it's great. I want to see where it goes. I want to see how it builds up. But so far, the the reputation has grown and I've gotten great feedback from people. And I'm only hoping that me, my supervisor and those that are on the same level as me in the program, that we can get together and, and just tweak it and retool it and make it better. Because it's fun to be a part of. It is fun to be a part of. It's fun to sculpt and mold and make something where there was nothing. It truly is. Now, it sucks because this week I go back to 
four to midnight and to my crappy days off and everything that I hate. <laughs> everything that I hate. But it is what it is. Uh, I, I'm still, I'm about to finish up school. That'll be in the next couple of months. So I'm trucking along and school is actually very interesting. Uh, one of my classes is a, is a public policy class. My teacher must love me for all of my libertarian values that I push and limited government and yada, yada, yada. had an interesting discussion last week about health care in the, in the United States. Um, he believes that health care is a fundamental human right. And me? Eh, not so much. I don't believe that it's a fundamental human right. That's like, you know, think about this. Is food a fundamental human right, or do you have to go work and pay for food? Yeah, you have to work and pay for health care, too. It's a service, whether you like it or not. At the end of the day, you know, yes, there's doctors, there's nurses, and they're doing it because they like their job, they like to be helpful, but they also do it because it makes them money. We can have a debate whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, you know, it's just public policy class. I got to read into the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And you can praise it all you want for whatever reason. You can. But, fact of the matter is, there's still a huge problem with healthcare in the United States. There's still a major problem. Premiums haven't stopped going up. They're still going up. ACA didn't prevent anything. It might have even sprung some of it forward, if you will. Uh, it limited some people's choices of plans and doctors. And you know what? This was the interesting thing. That professor that says it's a fundamental human right says he has the ACA, but he criticized it. He was not shy in criticizing the problems in in within it. Uh, he also at least had a good argument for how the government could afford it. That brings in another argument of whether or not the government should be at the forefront of those things. Which, again, I believe it should not. But, again, that's a different argument for a different time. can be a bigger episode or whatever. That was his argument. His argument is our military spending is so massive and huge. Uh, exactly that Bernie Sanders line of, I forget how many nations. It's like the next five or six nations combined our military spending at, out cases those guys you know we have the best military on earth it can afford some cuts and suggesting some cuts to the military budget isn't saying that you want more isis and terrorism and and other things it's not it's not any of that it's just saying look we spend we outspend the next five countries combined we can reallocate some money that's all that argument is uh we could bring up military projects that have been failing. We can bring up the Air Force. Uh, I forget what plane it is, but it's already sunk a couple billion dollars into it, and it's gone nowhere, and it's looking to go nowhere. That's just an example of money going down the drain that isn't coming back in returns. It's not coming back in an investment. But that public policy class has put me out on the spot to be to back my libertarian approach to things. Um, already, one of the things that I mentioned, I mean, one of the things I mentioned about healthcare, why is it always about, you know, 
getting everybody health insurance when not necessarily everybody needs to be seeing the doctor every day. I understand that there's people with conditions, with chronic illnesses that need constant health care. And those people definitely need something better than what's in place. That doesn't mean that I get everybody and mandate everybody to pay into a single-payer health care system or a government-run health care system. That's just, I'm just throwing it out there like that. But in promoting some of the other ideas, whether, you know, I don't even think they're necessarily libertarian ideas. My professor of this class absolutely agreed with me when I put out there, hey, you know what? Bills that go on the floor of the House to be debated, like, they're not even debated. They put a bill out, they give a time limit, and then they force a vote. They don't take time to read the bills. I played that Rand Paul clip on on the program, didn't I? Where he talked about, I will not vote until we're given sufficient time to read the bill, to debate the bill. And then there's, there's that argument that we've had before, like how many aspects are in a bill. You know? Hillary Clinton criticized Bernie Sanders for voting against a bill, which she claimed was just for auto bailout. When Bernie Sanders fired back and said, uh, that wasn't just an auto bailout. That was a bailout for the auto industry, the banks, everything. And then there's that whole angle of why is the government bailing out everybody? If everybody can't stay afloat, maybe they should close their doors. You know, how successful can you say you've been that you pushed through a bailout of taxpayer dollars to a company or an industry or, or a whole segment to save, you know, to quote, save jobs. The public policy class, it, it, it makes you dive in and actually read deeply into some of this stuff. And it's very interesting, and I think everybody should do that to a degree. The other class is technical business writing, which may sound a little boring. My bad, it's not technical business writing. It's effective business communication. That's the name of the class. might sound a little boring, but actually it is uh, providing a lot of tools and a lot of insight on professional writing, which I write. I do write as a hobby. I write fiction. I write a lot of stories. I'm working on a couple stories right now, for example. But that doesn't help me out in technical writing, does it? And if I'm in a field training program at work and want things to be presented professionally and for people to understand them, well then effective business communication, that might that might apply to that, won't it? Yes, I've already been taking things I've been picking up and learning in the classes and applying them to what I'm doing, which is only bettering my resume. Which, yes, it is a game of making myself and the team around me look better. So, there's that. Now, I mentioned I wanted to talk about Donald Trump and Donald Trump cabinet picks, didn't I? Have you heard who he's considering for Secretary of State? Rex Tillerson is the CEO of Exxon Mobil. 
Now the clip here that I'm going to play is Rand Paul mostly on John Bolton, uh, who I absolutely agree with Rand Paul. I think Bolton is possibly uh, the worst idea to to eke his way into some kind of position on a cabinet or have some kind of power. Uh, but listen, listen to this clip from Rand Paul. It's from uh, ABC News. He sat down with George Stephanopoulos. How about this likely pick for Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson? Again, we heard Ryan's previous right there talk about his business experience. You've got your colleagues like Senators McCain and Graham saying that they want to ask him a lot of questions these confirmation hearings. You're sitting on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Do you have any concerns? You know, I'm going to reserve judgment on Tillerson, but I'll ask him the same question I've asked the others. Do you understand the historic lesson that the Iraq war was a failure, a strategic mistake? That's what Donald Trump says. I don't know about Tillerson, but I do know that John Bolton doesn't get it. He still believes in regime change. He's still a big cheerleader for the Iraq war. He's promoted a nuclear attack by Israel on Iran. He wants to do regime change in Iran. So I think John Bolton is so far out of it and has such a naive understanding of the world. If he were to be the assistant or the undersecretary for Tillerson, I'm an automatic no on Bolton. He should get nowhere close to the State Department if anybody with a sane worldview is in charge. So Automatic no on Bolton. Open on Tillerson. Now me, I like to try to be more open on things. I'm not very open on a Donald Trump presidency. Everybody who's listened to my program knows I did not want either main party candidate winning, even though those are incredible odds to overcome. I like to be more open, though. I mean, I would... I would want nothing more than for Donald Trump to have a successful for us as Americans presidency. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Not in the slightest. But the thing about Rex Tillerson is that he is the CEO of a company that makes so much money over a controversial matter that it, it, it's it's a little pressing. I'm I'm not as quick to say I'll uh, I'll hold judgment and I'll try to be open about it, but I do have some aversions. Tillerson, of course, uh, CEO of of multi billion dollar company, uh, oil company, uh, has ties to Russian business, which plays more into the Red Scare business now. The CIA claims that they have evidences that uh, Russia interfered with the election. I'm reading from the New York Times right now, so be wary. Uh, says here in this article, quote, Americans' spy and law enforcement agencies were united in the belief in the weeks before the presidential election that the Russian government had deployed computer hackers to sow chaos during the campaign, but they had conflicting views about the specific goals of the subterfuge. Fancy word for trap. Last week, the CIA officials presented lawmakers with a stunning new judgment that upended the debate. Russia, they said, had intervened with the primary aim of helping make Donald J. Trump president. The CIA's conclusion does not appear to be the product of specific new intelligence obtained since the election. Several American 
officials, including some who have read the agency's briefing, said on Sunday. Rather, it was an analysis of what many believe is overwhelming circumstantial evidence, evidence that others feel does not support firm judgments, that the Russians put a thumb on the scale for Mr. Trump and got their desired outcome. Article further goes on to give Donald Trump's response uh, as well as other key political players right now. However, it should be noted that while the CIA is out here with that information, the FBI, on the other hand, and this is an article from the Washington Post, uh, the FBI... In this article, quote, in a secure meeting room under the Capitol last week, lawmakers held in their hands a classified letter written by colleagues of the Senate summing up a secret new CIA assessment of Russia's role in the 2016 presidential election. Sitting before the House Intelligence Committee was a senior FBI counterintelligence official. The question the Republicans and Democrats in attendance wanted answered was whether the Bureau concurred with the conclusions the CIA had just shared with the senators that Russia, quote, quite clearly intended to help Republican Donald Trump defeat Democrat Hillary Clinton and clinch the White House. For the Democrats in the room, the FBI's response was frustrating, even shocking. During a similar Senate Intelligence Committee briefing held the previous week, the CIA's statements, as reflected in the letter the lawmakers now held in their hands, were direct and bald and unqualified about Russia's intentions to help Trump, according to one of the officials who attended the House briefing. The FBI officials' remarks to the lawmakers on the House Intelligence Committee were, in comparison, fuzzy and ambiguous, suggesting to those in the room that the Bureau and the agency weren't on the same page. The divergent messages from the CIA and the FBI put a spotlight on on the difficulty faced by intelligence and law enforcement officials as they try to draw conclusions about the Kremlin's motives for hacking Democratic Party emails during the 2016 race. Officials are frequently looking at information that is fragmentary. They also face issues assessing the intentions of a country expert at conducting sophisticated influence operations that made it hard, if not impossible, to conclusively detect the Kremlin's elusive fingerprints. Now, let me break from Bolton, from Trump cabinet members. The Red Scare is alive and well. The, 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 the Russia blaming is uh, at an all-time high right now. And... Maybe some of it isn't unwarranted. Maybe some of it, uh, maybe some of it is completely legitimate to look at. Here's the thing that gets me with the Russia deal. If it's if all this talk about Russia interfering, quote air quotes up in the air, interfering with an election. Let's say, for example, let's say Russian hackers did steal all the DNC emails and gave them to WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks progressively targeted the release of the emails. Mind you, it's not like WikiLeaks picked it apart and picked out all the, quote, hot information or whatever. They just released the entire thousands and thousands of messages, correspondence over email. If all those correspondence sent sent out from WikiLeaks, let's just say Russian hackers did it, 
Okay? Russian hackers, this is all hypothetical now because nobody really knows. Nothing, there's been no class, there's been no information given publicly on any of this anyway. So it's, it's not like it's known, declassified stuff. This is all speculation we're talking about. Let's speculate Russian hackers hack the DNC email servers, all right? Release that information to WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks targeted uh, email drops and information gets out. Okay, well, if if Russian hackers didn't alter any of those messages from the DNC, any of that correspondence, um, then at the end of the day, I'm sorry, that's not really interfering with an election to an extensive degree, is it? If they just released truthful information, I'm with, if you know Ben Swan, Truth in Media, he covered this. He said, who cares who uh, got a hold of Podesta's emails? Who cares how they managed to get it? If it's all true factual information, is it really interfering with an election? Is it really trying to influence an election if the information isn't false? We can have an argument about privacy because nobody's privacy should be exploited. You shouldn't have to worry about email correspondence between you and another person that's nobody else's business becoming business all of a sudden. But the minute you log on to a computer, you know you're giving up a load. You're potentially giving up a load of information because there's hackers. There is the people that you're sending information to. Whatever you're doing, you leave a carbon like footprint of yourself through your internet, whether you like it or not, uh, and whether it is gathered actively by any one institution or not. Okay, you have cookies that get saved on your computer unless you've disabled them. Some of you have saved your passwords on your computer to your Facebook page, but also to your bank account, to your Amazon account. You've saved credit card information to these things. Those are all vulnerable things uh, because you could possibly get hacked and that information could get stolen. Now, if you're paying attention to all your information and paying attention to all your accounts, it's not really that big of a deal, right? Because somebody steals your credit card information, boop, you call up the credit card. Hey, I didn't order this stuff. I need this canceled. And they cancel it. It's no biggie. But... You send any type of email correspondence, you do any kind of correspondence on the internet, you know you're doing it, not necessarily in the guise of privacy. Sure, we all conduct ourselves differently in a business setting. You think I act like this uh, every day of the week, in every situation of the week? No, I don't. In a business setting... I have my own persona because it is business time. I'm hanging out with friends. I'm myself. So everybody, everybody to a degree has their own covering up of themselves or their own polishing of an image. It's called professionalism. So the DNC, maybe through those emails, maybe they're just being themselves 
and not expecting to have that guise of professionalism over it. They're just candid and talking to each other as if they're friends and buddies and pals and whatever, and because they are. But if that's all truthfully how they felt during the campaigns, working on the campaigns, trying to find ways to undermine Bernie Sanders and the Bernie Sanders supporters, that's all truthful information, and I can't really point fingers at Russia and say, how dare they interfere in an election? All they did was uh, release truthful correspondence. That's, That's it. That's all they did. If that's all they did, then this conversation's over, and we have to stop with the Red Scare. If if we're talking about an entity, a nation, a group of people hacking things like voting booths, changing people's votes, if we have something along those lines, that's a different argument, but that's not what this evidence is suggesting. That's not what any article I've read is suggesting. If everything else is just based off of, look, this, look, they're being dirty. Look, this is real information. This is real correspondence. This is real, this is real back and forth between them. Well, that's not very dirty, is it? That's not very damning evidence to say, oh my God, Russia interfered with the election and made us select one douche over another douche. And there goes the professionalism. Out the window with me. I got to work on that. If you know what I mean. Gotta work on that. But that's all I'm saying. This this Russia, 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 Russia. I mean, literally. Watch just before the election, just after the election. It becomes all this Russia's doing this and Russia's doing that and Russia, 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 Russia. There is at least a scary aspect to all this. And that's because the war front, I'm telling you, the war front isn't about nuclear bombs anymore and it's not about bombs and destruction on that level of things it is actually cyber warfare a warfare of information of hacking into systems being able to just toy with whatever you want because it's all computerized anyway Imagine if we were just on digital currency, for example. If, 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 if paper currency did not exist and it was all digital, and that's a story and a, you know, that's, a, that's a route that the world could be going, for example. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that. If you look at baby steps, you know, that could be something that happens conceivably. Imagine if we were on digital currency and then all of a sudden a nation in a cyber warfare just wipes out all the digital currency. Just just moves it somewhere else. And nobody can get it back. Well, now you have a crisis. No money anywhere. Right? So that's why paper money is important, right? Well, the paper dollar that's in your wallet right now, I can tell you right now, it's fiat money. doesn't mean anything. It just means something because we've attached a meaning to it. It took baby steps to get to that because it originally was backed up by gold, by silver, by by some kind of precious material. It was backed up. Now it's not backed up. Now it's just paper. Paper that that we've all agreed is worth something. That's where our standing with money is. So could it easily go digital? Oh, yeah, you bet. Why, Why bother printing money 
when it can just be digitized? Why bother? Why bother? But I mean, your bank account right now, do you think whatever amount of money you have in the bank is actually sitting there? No, it's not. You put it in the bank, the bank absorbs it, and the bank insures and protects your assets, whatever that number is. But really, it's just a digital number on a computer screen. That's your money. You can go in and pull it out. It's not going to be the exact same dollars you put in. It's not in some box that's labeled you. It's a big old it's a big old number to the bank. Because the minute you put it in the bank, the bank is loaning it out to somebody else anyway. That's just how that's how this all works. It's very complex. And then you start breaking it down and and you're confused at how it all works and runs and stays afloat. Uh that's scary stuff. But that's also a conversation for a different day. So right now it's kind of hard to grade Donald Trump the potential cabinet picks. But to speculate on things like John Bolton, I can tell you, I don't want. I don't want, it doesn't seem, warfare doesn't seem like a very good smart route to go, folks. I don't think that'll end well. It's not worth the lives that are going to be lost, the blood that's going to be shed, the money that's going to be spent, it's not worth any of that. And we have, the, the thing is that it's more than just one issue as well. What we're facing in the coming years. It's more than one front. It's more than one issue. It's more than one department. It's more than just money. It's more than just healthcare. It's more than just... A lot of stuff. It's more than just us. It's more than just a couple of nations in the world. There's a lot of scary stuff laying ahead. Now it comes down to how are we going to handle it. And right now, in terms of faith in the president, well, I mean, there's President Obama who's on his way out. There's President-elect Trump on his way in. When it comes to having faith in, in either of those individuals, I don't know. I have more faith in key players in the Senate and the House right now than I do in the figureheads. And I think people need to start focusing their attention and start realizing that your president is only supposed to be a figurehead. I'm paying more attention to what these senators are saying about the potential cabinet picks because here's the thing. Everybody thinks that Trump can just pick people and that that they'll be his cabinet members. No, they have to go through Senate hearings. The Senate has to hear him out and approve. And I'm going to be paying heavy attention to what's going on in those settings. Because this is the first time, really, that I'm forcing myself to pay attention to what some people see as either smaller scale or they don't even concern themselves with it. They don't even care about it. That's that's where my focus has, has moved to. And I think it's important that everybody move their focus back a step. To say that there's easy days ahead 
you know, even if you did vote for Donald Trump, right now, if I had voted for Donald Trump, I'd be feeling a little bit conned right now. He's draining the swamp? Hardly. Because he's picking names and people who, who haven't been in politics? It's not necessarily draining the swamp, people. You don't have to play in politics to to be a member of the swamp, in, in case you forgot very big, rich, powerful, influential individuals have played with money in politics. So grabbing Exxon Mobil CEO and bringing him in because he's not in politics, oh, he's in politics, all right. It's not necessarily draining the swamp. It'll be it'll be interesting to see to say the least. But I am getting ready to wrap up. I'm uh I'm uh I'm wrapping some Christmas presents today to my wife. I'm also going out and possibly obtaining more Christmas presents for my wife. That's up in the air. I, I you know I'm I'm kind of I've been told to let the let the demons loose and just you know not follow any kind of guidelines. I don't know if that's because my wife has spoiled me this Christmas or just wants to be spoiled. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't speculate. I've asked her, what's the price limit, babe? And she's like, um, just put it on this card. Uh, okay, but what's the price limit? Uh, d- don't worry about it. Well, how much have you spent on me? I, I can't tell you that. Why not? Why can't you tell me that? Because I can't. Don't worry about it. Okay, okay, the floodgates have opened, so now I have to try to outdo her without even having a baseline idea of of where to begin, which is is totally fun to a degree, I guess, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, and I hate it. Thanks, babe. Thanks. (sighs) You know what, though? It was great to sit down and bust out a 50-minute episode of FritzCast. So I thank you for listening, guys. Uh, the Christmas season is winding down. We're about to hit mid-month. Uh, I forgot to tell you the date. I forgot to tell you the date today. It's Monday, December twelfth, two thousand sixteen. So get in the Christmas spirit. It's going to be gone in a couple weeks, and then we're going to be in uh, twenty seventeen, and that's just going to be nuts. And there's going to be so much to talk about. I'll see you guys next week, though. Be sure to like this, share this, tweet about it. Uh, Do what it is you do. And I will be here next week. Love, peace, and chicken.